Welcome to Sci-Fi with Jesse Mercury. This week, I'm bringing you the second half of my conversation with Ian Adams about all things Star Trek. Ian Adams is the founder of The Red Shirts, a local Seattle Star Trek watching group. They're watching all of Star Trek in release order. As Star Trek fans know, some of the series were released simultaneously. Star Trek Deep Space Nine started during season six of Star Trek The Next Generation. So sometimes the shows were going concurrently, and by watching them in order, it provides a sort of different experience than if you watch one show by itself. You can see the kind of similar production values as they get better over time, and it's a really cool way to watch the show. So we're going to talk about all sorts of fun Star Trek shit. Highlight of this episode, towards the end, Ian and I talk about all six of the original Star Trek movies and kind of give our opinions on those. And then we just sort of gush about how much we love Star Trek. For anyone who's been listening to this podcast for a while, I've been teasing the release of Sci-Fi on Trial, my new podcast, where we're going to put uh, controversial sci-fi movies on trial and decide if we're remembering them fairly. The first episode is done. It's motherfucking done. I'm so excited about that. It's been really hard for me to finish just because I'm so busy. So what I've decided to do is put this podcast on hiatus for a short time. Oh, it's horrible. I know I, I almost, I hear, I hear myself screaming no when I say that out loud, but it's got to happen. I really want to get all of sci-fi on trial out. It's going to be a three or a four part special podcast all about Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. So this podcast, Sci-Fi with Jesse Mercury, is going to go on hold for a short while as I finish releasing all of the Phantom Menace episodes of Sci-Fi on Trial. I will still be releasing a podcast, hopefully once a week, but it won't be this one for a couple of weeks. So make sure you look up Sci-Fi on Trial. Uh, The website's going to be going live sometime this week, and the first episode will be coming out also sometime this week. As soon as I can get it done, it's all going to be there. But I got to focus. I got to get it out. So this one's going to go on hold. Never fear, we're going to come back. I'm going to have some great guests when we come back. Andrew Lee Creech will be coming on the show. He has been performing in Mr. Burns, a post-electric play here in Seattle, which is an incredible post-apocalyptic play in which people congregate over episodes of The Simpsons. And The Simpsons kind of becomes this cultural touchstone for the new society that develops after this post-apocalyptic nuclear disaster. I went to see this play uh, about a week ago, and it was incredible. My friend Andrew was in it, and I asked him to come on the show and talk about it, and he is going to come. It's going to be a lot of fun. And then other people I've talked to about coming on the show, Dan DeRozier, who everyone knows from the Tiny Baby Talk show. We're going to talk about Blade Runner. Uh, Michael Montour, who's a horror and sci-fi writer here in Seattle. Glynis Mitchell, who's an actress and sci-fi writer in here in Seattle. All these people have, who have agreed to come on the show, and we're really excited to have them on. So... Short break from Sci-Fi with Jesse Mercury. We will be back, and we'll have a lot more great stuff. This is the 20th episode, which is crazy. I can't even believe that, 20 episodes. I feel like I just started this thing, but it's grown so much in 20 episodes. You know, It started out as just a fun thing. I was going to drink some whiskey and talk about sci-fi with my friends. And it's, it's grown beyond that. You know, We're getting all sorts of cool sci-fi creators from around Seattle and you know, even from other places, and I hope it continues to grow. So here is... The rest of my conversation with Ian Adams, all about Star Trek.
stepping in and doing. Like, there's there is a huge renaissance in Star Trek fan films. I mean, it's not the sort of cheesy stuff like uh, Star Trek. Right. You know, from the late 90s. I remember Star Trek. I, I read the books for Star Trek. I, was there a show? But, yeah, it was like a Finnish show. Oh, I didn't even know that. Um, and it was uh, it was kind of, you know, iffy. But, uh, yeah. you know, and then and then um, Star Trek New Voyages right. came Right, which along. is now Star Trek Continues, right? No, now it's uh, Star Trek Phase 2. Oh, that's right. They were the first ones that, like, you know, they... The early episodes were still kind of iffy, and, and, you know, they do that thing that a lot of um, fan films fall into where, you, you know, like, uh, let's cast someone from the original cast. And, right, you know, George um, Takei ended up in there. Right. Uh, and that's not necessarily the thing that I want to see. Um, plus, a lot of their acting choices were a bit uninspired. But, you know, given what they had, they really raised the bar for a lot of it, which a lot of other fan productions have taken and ran with. Yeah. Um, Star Trek continues notably. Um, that's well, that's the one that's new voyages, but different cast, and, and the stories are all more like the original series. Right. What's the one that was made in Seattle? There was one made in Seattle? Yeah. How do I not know about this? I got to look it up. Oh, Star Trek Phoenix. Phoenix, yeah. Okay. So the first fan film I, I saw actually seen that. was Star Trek Phoenix. And I was so excited about it because I'm like, oh my God, like some new Star Trek that's in the timeline that I want to see. I was so fucking pumped about it. Yeah. And I really did not care for it uh, at all. <laughs> yeah. And that really turned me off to Star Trek fan films. I watched a little bit of an episode of New Voyages and was actually pretty impressed by what I saw. And then recently, because I was going to interview uh, Manu uh, Entereme, I watched Renegades. Yeah. Have you seen Of Gods and Men? Uh, yeah, I've, how was that? That was the one that uh, Tim Russ directed. Yeah, and, he did Renegades also, but yeah, this yeah. was his first one. Um, and it, that was another one. It, it was fun, uh, although of Gods and Men, I think relied too heavily on, um, you know, old series actors playing yeah. their characters. Yeah, I love seeing Chekhov again in Renegades. Yeah. I love. I really enjoyed that. But like, have you seen um, Prelude to Axanar? No, that's the one that looks really good. It does look really good, and um, I saw I saw like the proof of concept trailer and really yeah. liked it. Yeah, so Star Trek Axanar, the full film of that is going to be coming out next year, um, and that one I'm really really looking forward to. I think that they've got the formula right. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, they're they've got a lot of you know the older actors and stuff, but the story isn't you know that that kind of fan servicey like you know let's get Sulu on just to have Sulu on kind of right. thing, you know. Um, it's like they're playing completely different characters and it's in a, a period of time that um, only gets referenced like barely. It gets maybe 20, 30 seconds of airtime where they just drop it like, oh yeah, I remember the Battle of Axanar, that was something. Yeah. The production values that they're putting into it are really top notch and um, the fact that they're treating it like a professional production, even like abiding by, you know, uh, guild rules and stuff like that, huh. they're they're doing it right. And I think it's going to be um, quite a spectacle. <laughs> Do you think that Worf would approve of how much we love Star Trek and how much we nerd out about it? Oh yeah. You think so? Yeah. He'd probably be like, stop watching TV and go kill something. <laughs> just eat the heart of your enemies already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was just funny because he's like vegan. Oh, is Michael Dorn vegan? Yeah. 
Uh, I really want to see Captain Worf. That would be fun. Although, okay, there's one thing that always bugged me about um, Worf's appearance in uh, Insurrection and Nemesis, right? So Insurrection, there wasn't really any good reason for him to be there because uh, right. he was busy dealing with the Dominion War on Deep Space Nine. They didn't even really explain it to no. my satisfaction. Um, but then Nemesis in particular, which came out after Deep Space Nine had ended, and we remember in the last episode of Deep Space Nine, oh, right. Worf becomes the an ambassador. ambassador for the Klingons. Right. Yeah, so he's on Kronos. And suddenly he's like back in Starfleet again? Like, that's weird. Yeah, what the fuck? I mean, of, of course he's there for Riker and Troy's wedding. Of course, yeah. But then he's like on the bridge crew. He could have easily not had a Starfleet uniform and been uh-huh. part of the br- bridge crew. Because yeah. Captain Picard would have allowed that in a second. Sure. Uh, but yeah, just to have him show up in uniform again is really strange. Yeah. Also, it was weird, like, you know, because Wesley was in the wedding party too. Yeah. And so, like, I guess he's done being a god now. Yeah. And then he would just, like, wasn't in the rest of it. No. <laughs> I actually, I like, uh, I like Nemesis a lot. It was a fun movie. Yeah, but um, there's some weird plot holes yeah, that don't yeah. make sense. I, it's so funny that Tom Hardy is now this huge star. Oh, yeah. People don't really know that he, like his first huge blockbuster, well, it wasn't, it didn't end up being a blockbuster, but it <laughs> no. could have been, was Nemesis. Yeah. Like, he was Shinzon. Like that's a whole other category right there that we could get into is, is things that um, Star Trek alumni end up going on to do and then dragging all like, like Boston Legal, for example, is like, right. you know, you've of course got um, William Shatner then, and, and uh, Rene Aubergenois, yeah. But then like all sorts of like background people that come in all the time are like, oh, yeah, he was on an episode of Star Trek or, oh, cool. um, or, or like the Twin Peaks Star Trek actor commonalities. Um, yeah. It's such a cool thing that I, even just talking to the people making The Fifth Passenger, how, you know, like Manu knew all these Star Trek people and he got them all involved and they all seem to just want to keep working together because there's this common family feeling among yeah. them, which is really special. And you can you can feel it when you watch the show, especially Next Generation. You can feel that these people are family. Oh, and yeah. just want to be together. Yeah, and then, like, you know, Garrett Wong, uh, who played Harry Kim, he said many, many times that, like, he had a booth at the convention sitting there saying, like, you know, if I wasn't on Star Trek, I'd probably be on that side of the desk because, like, I'm just a fan of this stuff. Right. And and there's a, a lot of people that they end up showing up in Star Trek or other sci-fi a lot, and you get the feeling that the reason that that is is because they're just really into it. Yeah. And it shows in their performances. I wish that Jolene Blaylock had done more. Yeah. She's so fantastic as to Paul. Yeah, and she was in, like, some Starship Stargate. Troopers 3. Yeah, and Stargate SG-1. Oh, that's right. Episodes. Yeah, in the last, uh, like, towards the end of the run, I think. Yeah. Maybe, like, no, it was, like, season six or seven or something. I think she she might have gotten burned out, though, because the fan hate was at a fever pitch with Enterprise. Yeah. Which was completely unjustified, if you ask oh, me. Oh, no. Well, Enterprise made some huge mistakes very early. Sure. And... Never was forgiven for that. And Enterprise did something which drives me crazy. It started with Voyager, which is like taking... Well, it started with the original series, where you take your attractive female character and you dress her differently than everyone else to make her eye candy, which is really frustrating. They did it with Troy. Yeah. Uh, The worst one was Seven of Nine, Mm -hmm. and T'Pol was arguably just as bad as Seven of Nine. Yeah, like it killed me, especially in like season four when she had basically joined Starfleet. And so... 
Like she still had her weird outfits, but they had the pins and the patches on. And it was like, no, just just give her a uniform. Come on, right. guys. Like when they finally gave Troy a uniform, it was such a relief. Yeah. On Next Generation. Totally. Uh, Thanks, Edward Jellico. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, it bothered me the most with Seven of Nine, where I had a hard time taking her character seriously because they were just dressing her up as eye candy. Yeah. Although um, she is a really good actor. She's, she's great. She's fantastic. Jerry Ryan's fantastic. Yeah. And I felt like Jolene Blaylock really overcame that aspect of her character by being so fucking good at her role. Yeah. And I love T'Pol. T'Pol was – Trip and T'Pol's relationship is, is my favorite yeah, part of Enterprise. Like, I thought it was – it came across as really genuine. Yeah. Even the way it ended. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Except I, for the last episode, which we'll ignore. Uh, yeah. And apparently the books ignore, too, like the, yeah. the relaunch novels, yeah. which I've been wanting to get into. There's only so many times you can rewatch Enterprise before going like, ah, oh, but what happened next? Yeah. And the last two episodes before the finale, the two-parter before oh, the finale, yeah. with RoboCop in it, yes. are <laughs> really solid. Yeah, when he was playing a good villain on Star Trek. Yeah. And we finally get to see Mars. Yeah. Oh, there was so much great stuff happening. I mean, season four of... Enterprise just really started to feel like Star Trek. Yeah. Season three of Enterprise is my favorite. I, it was really good. I loved the Zindi arc. The Zindi arc. arc is so fantastic. You're, you're a good person, person to ask this question of, did the Zindi show up in any other Star Trek series? No. I didn't think so. No. The, like, the, is there like any off mention of the Zindi in the, the original series? The closest you get is um, there was an offhand mention of a race called the Zendi. Uh-huh. It's just like an E instead of an I. In which um, series? It was Next Generation. I want to say it was The Price, the one where they find the wormhole, the wormhole. that goes to the Delta Quadrant. Where they send those Ferengi, yeah. and then the Voyager finds them later, right. which was such a cool connection. That, I, and I loved that episode. So actually. did I. I was pumped about that when I saw it. I was like, oh my God, oh my God, I know those guys. Right. <laughs> uh, well, that's cool. The Zendi, I'll take it. Yeah. I'll pretend they're sure, the same. Sure, why not? Because you know? The Expanse was such a cool idea. And also... It's got to be pretty close to Earth because, mm-hmm. uh, as I'm sure you know, the whole uh, measuring of warp drive changed over time. So, yeah. like, warp nine in Next Generation is way faster than warp nine yeah. in original series. So, on Enterprise, you can only imagine that they're not getting that far away mm-hmm. from Earth because they just no. don't have the, the Pro- speed. Probably not further out than 160 light years. Yeah. Absolute maximum. That's cool that you know that. <laughs> uh, so the expanse must be pretty close to Earth. Yeah. So how come we've never heard about it before or again? Well, because it went away. Did it go away? Yeah. Oh, that's right. At the end Cindy of arc. season three. Oh, I and then Archer wakes up with space Nazis. I that bothered me. Yeah. Right. I didn't like that. That's what I think. I blocked that out of my memory. You know, here was the worst part for me though was that we see that shot of the space Nazi, and then. I'm looking at his makeup, and I'm like, eh, it looks kind of like a Reman. Is this going to be, like, tie in? Like, is season four just going to be the Romulan War, or are we just going right into it? Yeah. And then it wasn't. Yeah. Ugh. That would have been really cool. The first time I saw season four, I was disappointed because I didn't like the way it started. But it won me over, for sure. How did you feel about Brent Spiner's four-part oh, Eric, arguments? Eric Soon? Eric Soon, yeah. I the, liked them. Finally, we got an explanation for the original series Klingon. The Klingons. Look. I didn't need an explanation because I loved in Deep Space Nine when Warf, they're yeah. like, Warf, are those Klingons? He says, we don't it. talk about yeah. it. That was all the explanation that I needed. <laughs> I thought that was great. Right. Uh, well, you, you kind of had to explain it in a prequel, though, where they looked like the future Klingons, though, right? Right. 
and showing the transition, and I, and I thought they did it well. Um, they did it as good, as good as they could have. Plus, to, you got to see Uncle Phil as a Klingon. I mean, that was great. Oh, my God. Was he? Yeah. He, From he Fresh was, Prince? Yeah. He was, he was the, the general guy that kept uh, forcing shit. flocks to develop the vaccine. Wow. Um, I didn't realize that. And fun fact, he was actually uh, second in the running to play Worf back in the 80s. Really? But they went with Michael Dorn instead. Wow. But then he went on to Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and, you know, on that would to have been immortality. So, so different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I enjoyed it, but I also felt like it was a little fan service-ish. Yeah. I, I like seeing Brent Spiner. I love Brent Spiner. Sure. But I didn't necessarily need to know that Dr. I, I didn't necessarily need Noonien to know. Soon, yeah, Dr. Noonien Soong's like ancestor ancestor started him off on this whole like positronic uh path i didn't need to know that yeah but then we got big show as an orion out of that the wrestler remember oh that's right yeah i loved i loved the orions on enterprise to find i mean they've been talking about the orion syndicate for decades Mm -hmm. and of course we've seen orion slave girl several times we'd never seen a male orion until enterprise which is interesting. Yeah. And, like this uh, kind of brutish uh, culture that we'd never really gotten to see. I really liked the Mirror Universe episodes. Oh, my God. Yes. A lot. It's interesting that there's Mirror Universe episodes in the first show, the third show, and the fifth show, like yeah. series-wise. Yeah, but there, there's, there's there isn't one in the second or the fourth or, or in Voyager. Or Voyager, yeah. Uh, but uh, the Mirror Universe episodes in Deep Space Nine, I think, are my favorite. Yeah. The one well, where, the, where Odo explodes was fantastic. That was good, but I will say that the best Mirror episodes, if you ask me, are the two-part In a Mirror Darkly from, from Enterprise. That yeah. Those were just so They're good. really fun. They're a and, lot of And fun. it was like just the right amount of fan service. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It was fan service in a way where you have to be a kind of a deep fan right. to really get it. Maybe that's what bothers me about fan service in Star Trek is when it's just like they throw in surface stuff. Yeah. I don't know. Deep Space Nine never crossed that line, as far as I remember. Even the trouble with Tribbles, or what is it? Trials, <laughs> trials and, tribulations. and Tribulations. Yeah. yeah. That one was so well done yeah. that it never felt fan service to me. It, even like getting back to Deep Space Nine at the end and there's a Tribble sitting on Quark's head. I was right. fine with it. Sure. <laughs> I was fine with it. I thought it was fantastic. Especially because you knew it must have pissed off Worf. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Worf must have been miserable right. when he got home. He's just like, God damn it. I'm going to go live on the Defiant. How'd you feel about Worf on, on Deep Space Nine? He finally got good character development. He wasn't getting his ass kicked all the time. Worf in the Dominion prison camp yeah. is one of my favorite arcs in all of Star Trek. Him just beating the shit out of Jem Hadar and, and getting the shit beat out of him, but getting back up again and back yeah. up again. Yeah, because I've complained about this many times where in Next Generation, whenever they want to show that someone's strong, they have him fight Worf, and he always loses. Right. And Worf and, ends up and losing. And that's a drink. And that, oh, is Worf it? gets his ass kicked. <laughs> that happens so often. Yeah. It's really Or whenever he gets a suggestion shot down. <laughs> but I love Worf in The Next Generation because he, he didn't get as much to do, and I think Michael Dorn really learned to shine without much to do yeah. by putting so much characterization into every movement that Worf had. 
And there was a lot of stuff they did with him in Deep Space Nine that I wasn't as crazy about. Like, he kind of went through a lot of, like, crisis of faith sort of stuff in mm. Deep Space Nine. And, and he, can, he, can we agree that, like, they should not have brought Alexander back? I mean, he was just always a bad idea. I liked... I, <laughs> I, Although I, I did like a fistful of Datas. I love a fistful of Datas. <laughs> and I liked uh, Alexander... Roshenko. In his first episode in season three when Kalar brings him like that episode was really powerful yeah so i actually i really like alexander i, I like uh challenging Worf to grow but yeah, i do agree he that he just pawns him off with his parents right and that's really interesting to see that Worf is just a fucking terrible father yeah but he sucks I, at it i wasn't wild about what they did with it in deep space nine i hated hated what they did with kern in deep space mm. nine Kern's last episode, Worf's brother Kern was just, yeah. his last episode on Deep Space Nine is one of my least favorite of all all of it. It just really bugs me. Yeah. There are some terrible episodes of Deep Space Nine. <laughs> like going, Move Along Home. Is that? That's the. Oh, the, I like that one. Really? Move season, Along season Home. One season one. Yeah. With all of the Cirque du Soleil performers. Yeah. Uh, I like that episode. Really? I think it's fun. Uh, the one where they go into Bashir's mind in season five or six. Oh yeah, yeah, and he like becomes an old man, and that. Anytime one's... they age people, it never yeah. works out. They've always done a poor job of that, except for casting Tony Todd as an oh, yeah. old Jake Cisco. That True. was fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> but that, that episode count. I, I cry at the end every time. That's a great episode. Tony Todd's another another one who just. Well, yeah. did he just do Kern and and that character and Jake Cisco? Did he do anyone else? I think those were it. Yeah, he's but he's he's, he's in. Uh, Star Trek Axanar. Oh, that's right. And he's in Stargate. He was like an yeah. old uh, Jaffa. So I just realized that's just like Jafar without an R at the end. <laughs> right. <laughs> Did you watch Stargate? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, um, I didn't get into it when it was coming on, but uh, I just marathoned through it last year. Oh, cool. And um, it was a little tough to get into, uh-huh. but once I got into it, I was hooked. Yeah, seasons five through seven of SG-1 are so good. Just absolutely brilliant. It really slows down. Uh, season eight was still good, but then once uh, Richard Dean Anderson leaves, I felt like nine and ten. That's season Yeah, and, and then 10, you get right? like the cast from Farscape. No, or, or was it ten and eleven? Yeah, and then Farscape cast <laughs> comes over, and it gets strange. Oh, but Oh, God, and, and there was a great episode in the last season. I forget what it was called, but they had... Um, where they had them all dressed as the Farscape characters? Well, it, it was, they had the guy who was the alien and he was a screenwriter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so they're just going over like all these concepts and they do right. like, you know, one of like the original series of Star right. Trek and they do one that's Farscape with the Muppets and everything. And I watched all of, Fors- all of Farscape after seeing that episode yeah. just because I was curious about what the fuck was going on. <laughs> uh, I that was thought an interesting that, show. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I love it. I loved Atlantis. I loved Universe. Atlantis seasons one through three are excellent. Yeah. Four was still great. Five, it's starting to slip. Uh, Universe took a little bit of time in the in season one to find its footing, but it found it pretty quickly. Yeah. And season two was incredible, like absolutely incredible. Have you seen all that yet? I got started getting into Atlantis after I finished SG One, uh-huh. but I haven't picked it up again. It's been hard to kind of get into. I highly recommend it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, oh God, speaking of. I mean, we could just talk sci-fi. Yeah, like, let's do uh, it. Like, did you ever watch in the mid-90s, there was a show that only lasted a season called Space Above and Beyond? I remember that. I never saw that. 
check it out. I'm I'm pretty sure it's on Netflix or Hulu. Uh huh. Um, and it's I it's think worth I saw watching. the first episode and that was it. And the first episode is a bit rocky. Yeah. It, it takes like three or four episodes for them to find their footing, but then once they find their footing, it's it's pretty good. Did you ever watch Earth Two? Yeah, with Tim Curry. Yeah. Yes. That that was that was on around the same time. Yeah. I just saw today that it's on Netflix now. Yeah. Yeah. I love to Earth watch that. Two. Yeah. Clancy Brown. Mm-hmm, Motherfucking mm-hmm. Clancy Brown. Yeah. I love that man. I, I the first couple episodes are a little weird because like Tim Curry is so over the top. Yeah. But he's only around briefly, and then right. the show gets brilliant really quickly. Terry O'Quinn was a yeah uh, a recurring guest star. Uh, it's a it's a really great show. There was so many cool things that they set up. I really wish it continued. Steven Spielberg produced that. Yeah. And he kind of distanced himself from it later when it didn't do so hot. But I watched that when it was on when I was a kid. And then someone gave me the DVD when I was probably in my like early 20s. And I rewatched it and, and loved it. Yeah. Uh, I think I was like 23 when I watched it again. Yeah, that was a fun show. I mean, there were some real stinkers at the time, like Space Rangers. You know? I don't know that one. It's, you're probably better off. Yeah. Um, what else gets you as fired up as Star Trek does? Hmm. For me, I mean, original Star Wars trilogy, for sure. I do like them, uh, but they don't get me, like, fired up. The only other shows that really get me fired up are, um, like, non-sci-fi shows, turns out. Like what? Um, well, my favorite show of all time, actually, uh, is a show came out in the late 60s called The Prisoner. Starring Patrick McGowan. Huh. So he was uh, in this really, at the time, it was like the most popular show in the world. It was, depending on the market you were in, it was called either Secret Agent or Danger Man. <laughs> um, and he played, you know, the uh, a secret agent. He was actually like, they approached him before Sean Connery when they were first starting to do the Bond movies. Wow. He was the guy that people thought of when they thought Secret Agent, right? Yeah. But then, like, a year after the show went uh, color, because the first few seasons were black and white, he decided he was just kind of done with it, and he decided to just quit. (laughs) (laughs) And they were like, are you kidding? This is, like, the biggest show in the world, and you want to just quit? And he was like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm done. And they're like, okay, well, can you at least, like, give us another show? And so he came up with this absolutely brilliant show called The Prisoner. And the, the premise of it is that he's playing a secret agent who it's kind of inferred that it's the secret agent that he played in um, the you know secret agent or danger man. Cool. Um, but you never know because like he, he, he wakes up like he's kidnapped, you know, knocked out and wakes up in this replica of his apartment. <laughs> that's in this place that's just called The Village. Nobody there has a name. They only have numbers. His number is number six. And in fact, number six in Battlestar Galactica, like she was named after oh. that character. So his, his whole thing is that he just wants to escape, but it's, it's basically like a place where, you know, secret agents and, um, you know, people who have like really sensitive information when they retire, they like sort of corral them there to, well, there's kind of some mystery about it because maybe it's to keep them from disseminating stuff or maybe it's like a, you know, like a Soviet thing maybe where they're, because they keep trying to like break him and get him to admit like why he retired because his character retires abruptly just like Patrick McGowan did. So like every show, they're like trying to get, just break him to find out why he resigned and to 
kind of break his individuality and get him to just be like a happy member of the community hmm. in the village where he's just content being a number. The shows are so brilliant. They go into to things like like the nature of identity and it's it's so so good. And in fact, it sounds incredible. Uh, to bring it back to Star Trek, there was a next generation episode called The Schizoid Man. Uh-huh. I just watched that, which was named after an episode of The Prisoner because <laughs> the first draft of that screenplay, the teleplay rather, uh, was actually written by Patrick McGowan, and the idea was that Patrick McGowan was going to play Ira Graves. Uh-huh. Then they just went through so many rewrites of it that McGowan was like, ah, no, fuck this. So that would have been incredible just having Patrick McGowan on Star Trek. Yeah. But it never happened. You, you might recognize Patrick McGowan. Uh, let's see, he was in um, Silver Streak, the uh, Gene Wilder movie. He was in, he played uh, Edward Longshanks in Braveheart. Wait, Braveheart. I've seen that. With Mel Gibson and he's playing the Scottish guy no, William I Wallace. Seen that. No? Okay. I'm thinking of Dragonheart. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I am the last dragon. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love that movie. Yeah. Seriously, like check out The Prisoner. It is a really, really interesting show that just makes you think. Um, and it's not really sci fi. But it definitely has some sci-fi elements to it. But it's just a really, really good show. Another show that I absolutely love, like I I guess I have a thing for shows that got canceled too early. <laughs> um, I mean, Firefly, of course. But I was going to um, ask if you were into Firefly. Yeah, I, I did love that show. But um, Carnival on HBO. Oh, man, I love Carnival. Oh, my that God. That was a show that should have gotten its six full seasons. Carnival is... Brilliant. Yeah. I mean, Clancy Brown for one. Clancy Brown. Yeah. <laughs> Who was I talking to about this just like a, a day or two ago about how the episode with Jonesy getting tarred and feathered oh in my season God, two? Yeah. Uh, that That's one of my absolute favorite episodes of any television show. That was a rough one to watch. <laughs> yeah. Like season one is pretty good, but season two is just brilliant. Yeah. And, you know, um, Ronald D. Moore was the showrunner. For season one. Really? And then he left the show to go reboot Battlestar Galactica. How did I not know that? That's crazy. <laughs> I will say, I think the, the best show that's on television right now and has been for a while is The Walking Dead. You know, I've never seen that and everyone keeps telling me to watch it. It's so good. That's what I hear. It's so good. I think the series is better than the comic. Really? Yeah. And, and what I really like about it is the characters. That's probably a common thread that you could weave through all of the sorts of shows and stuff that I like. Yeah, me too. Is good characters. I mean, me that's too. what makes Star Trek great. Like, that's sure. why I can't bring myself to hate Voyager, because I love the characters on it. Yeah. Um, even Chipotle? Even Chipotle. <laughs> um, that's something I learned at Star Trek Night, yeah. was that Chicote is well, Chipotle. That was, that and was, now I can't get it out of my head. That was my nickname for him, because... Yeah. Um, Although I think actually Kristen came up with it. Yeah. Um, but uh, because he is to Native Americans what Chipotle is to Mexican food. <laughs> right? Like what tribe is he from? You know, one of those tribes from somewhere in That's the northern plains hilarious. down to the, you know, Yucatan Peninsula. Cuchimoya. Yeah. You know, like just so generically racist. What's your spirit animal, Ian? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well, probably a penguin. 
<laughs> Why a penguin? Because that was the spirit animal in Fight Club. Um, slide. <laughs> I when I went through my my watch through a Voyager, all the way through, which I didn't do until I moved to Seattle. Which was I started at about. I, I've been here for five years, so okay. I started about four and a half years ago because I watched all the way through Deep Space Nine. And I, I had done something strange with Deep Space Nine where I had watched all of it except for the last six episodes. <laughs> no, maybe even the last three episodes because I wanted to make sure that I was appreciating it to its mm. full extent because I loved it so much. So when I moved to Seattle, I went back and I watched Deep Space Nine from scratch. And after that, I watched Voyager from scratch. And I'd seen the first three seasons of Voyager for the most part when it was on TV, and yeah. I kind of fell off of it because it was disappointing me. No, I must have seen the first four seasons because I had seen when Seven of Nine was yeah. there. But I hadn't seen the main bulk of the Borg arc, which yeah. is the last, most, mostly the last three and a half seasons, or at least the last three seasons for sure. Yeah. Uh, so then I, I watched it through finally, and I'd been super curious to see what they did with the Borg because I heard it was good. And I, I'd been told that I was missing out on a lot of the best of Voyager. And after watching through it, I disagreed. I felt yeah. like the best part is the first half of it. But there was one episode that I fell asleep through when I was doing this watch through. And I, my goal was to see everything in yeah. Star Trek. I mean, I watched all the animated series. I wanted to see every single thing. So I had to go back and watch that episode that I'd fallen asleep through, and it was so boring. <laughs> uh, it was the one where they're on a planet, and they're all experiencing the memories of a war that they weren't a oh, part of. Oh, that one was another one that just had an, a really interesting premise, Yeah, and they just couldn't execute on. It became really apparent um, when we were watching everything in like air order for Star Trek Night, and yeah. we were in the final seasons of Deep Space Nine when the, the Dominion War was really heating up you know the storytelling was so good uh and then then, and then we, you switch over to voyager and, and it's just like oh okay i guess they're um uh, they found a new alien species and uh they have a way for voyager to get home and oh look oh no they're not getting home again <laughs> what have you learned going through this process i mean that's one thing for sure but uh, you know as the leader of this group you're probably the only one who's been there for every single Star well, me Trek and Marlon, night. yeah. Marlon's been there for everyone yeah. also? If, if he can't show up, we don't have it. That really? Is, yeah. Interesting. I don't know. What have I learned from it? Well, it's really difficult to get drunk people to pay attention to Star <laughs> Trek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because, like, there's so many things where you're just, you just want to be like, oh, look at this. This is, like, a really brilliant scene. Like, you know, um, yeah, it's funny. I mean, I feel like you're... You're and, doing but, contradictory but are, things. Yeah, You're but, asking people to play a drinking game and also pay attention. <laughs> right. But then, you know, people want to, you know, um, play Tetris. Like, oh, God, that drives me batty when people are like, you know, just on their phones during Star Trek. It's like, yeah. look, we're here for Star Trek night. You could be on Facebook anytime. Yeah. You know? It's funny. Like, the vibe, the vibe of the event is not one of let's sit and pay attention <laughs> oftentimes but I think that's I mean that's what you want it's what yeah. you're shooting for and I can well, tell and, and, and when there's like an important episode yeah. or something like I'll, I can see your frustration when I'm yeah. there sometimes that you really want people to be sitting and paying attention right and I I wonder like what would work because I think as it's set up it's really fun and it's a fun time to go get drunk and sure. watch Star Trek. And I know that there's like moments when people say, okay, this is a moment you have to pay attention to. And this mm -hmm. is an important thing in Star Trek. And there's always a little bit of frustration involved in that. 
So I, I always, when I'm there, I think to myself, well, what would be a way to set this up where people would be engrossed? Oh, and easy. Attention? Like um, that scene in A Clockwork Orange. We just strap people in the chairs and <laughs> tape their eyes open. And uh, I think you'd have to take the... <laughs> The, keep the substances out of it. I think it would have to be a sober evening. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, yeah, you're almost at the end. It's like, what's the point in changing sure. at this point? I doubt that I'll ever watch it again like that. Yeah. Unless maybe like if I have kids and I'm introducing them to Star Trek, I'd probably do it like that so that they can get the sort of cultural flow of it. I think it works really well for people who've seen it before. Yeah. Like for me, it's so fun because I get to see it in a new way, I don't have to pay close attention because I know everything that's going to happen. Right. And there, what I've learned from rewatching Next Generation Remastered is that sometimes watching it from the point of view of I've never seen this before can be incredibly gratifying. Yeah. Where I'm paying really close attention. And I, so a lot of the time I'll put on Star Trek as background noise for whatever oh, yeah. I'm doing during my life because I just... You too. I, I need to have it on. Like when I was making my music video for Relativity, when I was making the props like making the spaceship and everything, I had Star Trek on the whole time. Yeah. And it was just like flipping through random episodes of Next Generation. But getting to see it again remastered, I'm like, I'm my I'm just soaking it in with my eyes. I'm just absorbing everything. I'm thinking about it. I'm watching it chronologically. So I'm getting the growth of the characters mm-hmm. and really cementing in my mind that it is the best show that's ever been made. Yeah. I've never I don't think there's anything ever that has been so good at forming Strong characters, strong character connections, and really compelling stories over the course of seven years. Deep Space Nine. Oh, sorry, <laughs> I, I love Deep Space Nine. I mean, I love Deep Space yeah. Nine. And well, it's 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 my favorite Star Trek. And, and that's interesting to um, me. I, it I is, can't. It's not just you know because of the Dominion War and seeing you know fleet battles and stuff like that. But I I really love the characters in that show, the ensemble cast, mm-hmm. um, and and getting to see sort of. Uh, you know, the perfect humans that Roddenberry created yeah. turned on their head. Yeah. And and getting to see, like, uh, I love the relationship between um, Jake Sisko and Ben Sisko and, and even Ben Sisko and, and um, Joe Sisko. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Ben Sisko, easily the best portrayal of a single dad on television that there's ever been. Oh, interesting. Um, and, like, just all the characters. I mean, who doesn't love Garrick? Yeah. You know, you know um, who might be my favorite character is Nog. Yeah. He has a huge arc. Yeah. I in met, terms of um, character growth. I met Aaron Eisenberg at, at the Seattle Star Trek convention and had a really cool conversation with him because yeah. my favorite episode of Deep Space Nine is uh, Only a Paper Moon, mm. where Nog is. Uh, he just lost his leg right. and he and got it reattached and yeah he just got like a fake one and he and he can't deal with life anymore yeah because he's so afraid so he goes to live in the holodeck with Vic Fontaine <laughs> oh, I'm I'm getting really emotional just thinking and about who it. doesn't love Vic I, mean, I love Vic Fontaine um, even in the mirror universe I don't care oh, yeah. I love it but, <laughs> it makes no sense for him to be there but whatever. yeah but that episode is just such an incredible look into PTSD mm-hmm. uh, and like the trauma of war. And what happens when something happens to you and your life is changed irrevocably? How do you get through it? And I went through something like that. And then th- and that's why that episode resonated so much with me. And to get to tell Aaron Eisenberg how much his performance in that episode impacted my life and helped me get through my own stuff 
yeah. was such a cool moment. I would imagine, yeah. I want to try to get him on the show. Sure? Now that I've had Ichab uh, on the show, I feel like maybe maybe <laughs> I could get Aaron Eisenberg on the it. show. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. That's one of the things that I really, really liked about Deep Space Nine, right? Like um, Star Trek in particular and, and sci-fi in general has always been at its best, you know, when um, – you know, you take some sort of contemporary issue and then you give it this nice sci-fi cloak so that you can see it from a... <laughs> so you can examine it. Yeah, a, yeah, from a different perspective. Absolutely. Um, but one thing that Deep Space Nine did was they were like, no, look, you want to talk about racism? Let's talk about racism. You want to talk about PTSD? Let's talk about PTSD. You want to talk about, you know, um, income inequality? Let's talk about income inequality. Like, they yeah. just went headlong into those issues and still did them really well and still yeah. made them compelling and, and thought-provoking. And that is one of the things that I, I really loved about the writing on Deep Space Nine. That's interesting. Maybe that's why I like Next Generation more is because I like having the sci-fi cloak over those concepts. Yeah. Because in my mind, that makes the examination of those issues a little bit deeper because... More objective. Well, because you you are on the side of the character... And Measure of a Man is the perfect example hmm. where you're going through this whole trial and you don't know what to think because, as Picard says, like Riker's presentation is devastating yeah. when he tries to prove that Data is not a sentient being. turns him off. And turns him off. And you love Data already because mm -hmm. you've been with him for a season and a half. You really love Data because he's, he's your surrogate for learning about humanity on the show and for learning about the Star Trek universe just as mm -hmm. from an audience perspective because Data is the most childlike of the crew with the childlike wonder. So to have that put on trial is devastating and then not really know what the answer is until you get to the point where Guinan points out if you if you say that he's not a person then you're creating a slave race. Right. And that that's one of the only times in Star Trek where I think they had that sort of cloak and then pulled it away. Yeah. Uh and it really showed me how powerful it is to put you on a side through storytelling and that I that's why I like it so much because they they put you on that side and then you kind of have to make the mental leap to figure out what it is they're talking about in present day mm -hmm. oftentimes. But, uh, and you know, I would argue that Deep Space Nine actually did that a lot. Like what that episode where the Cardassian torturer. Oh yeah. Golovec, I think it was. Golovec. I don't remember. Um, that sounds right. And it, it's, it's all a, I mean, all, yeah, the whole like, like that was join Cardassian war is, a was parable very, for Israel yeah. and Palestine. And and a little bit of Nazi Germany in there because that, that yeah. story was definitely like a sort of um, post-war Nazi trying to come to terms with like all the terrible things that he did. Like that was the, the kind of story that it was. And it yeah. turned out that he was just a clerk and that was really powerful. There was a lot of that. And, and sometimes it was probably a bit heavy-handed. But, you know, at least they didn't actually oh, give the Cardassians right. Nazi uniforms. I can't believe I'm forgetting. That was like <laughs> the biggest moment where you realize that he didn't commit these crimes, but he right. wanted to be punished for them because he felt so guilty that he hadn't stopped any of them from happening. Right. God, that was fucking powerful. Mm -hmm. That's another of my top episodes of, of that show. Yeah, I love the one um, Hard Time where uh, O'Brien is given this prison sentence that's like oh. 20 years but they just implanted in his memory. Yeah. I struggle with that one's hard to watch. It is. It's I I it's great. Like I struggle because it's difficult, not <laughs> yeah. because it's, it's bad. It's not one that I'm like, oh, I want to watch Deep Space Nine. Let's throw yeah. in the O'Brien, you know, wants to kill himself episode. Yeah. Like how many times <laughs> have they tortured O'Brien to the breaking point? Oh so many. So many, yeah. 
it was it ended up being like kind of a joke after a yeah. while. He's one of those people where like whenever you think about O'Brien, you're like, wait a second, he is my favorite character. Yeah. I mean, as much as I love Nog, O'Brien's my favorite character. Yeah. <laughs> I I mean my dog is us. my dog is named Miles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just seeing him in the background all throughout Next Generation starting in episode 1. Yeah. And then come to the foreground and then become a main character on another show and a spin-off show. I very love, powerful. I love that comic Miles O'Brien. I work. love it. Yeah. Because that was something when we were watching Next Generation, you know, for Star Trek Night like we were thinking like, God, O'Brien must just have the most boring job in the world. He just sits in a room by himself all day yeah. hoping that someone needs to use a transporter. <laughs> yeah. I With love, no windows. Like, it's just... I love that comic. The first time I saw it, I was fucking excited <laughs> about so it. so good. It's great. He's such a great actor that I think mm. that he just kind of made a place for himself yeah. by being so great. I mean, they'd give him a couple of lines... And he would just knock it out of the park. Yeah. I mean, he would just put so much characterization into this guy. And I remember being a kid and watching Next Generation. Because I don't remember when I started watching. But uh, I was three when it came on the air. And I know that I watched a lot of it concurrently from when it was on. I remember watching, right. uh, in particular, watching the last episode. Mm. And being like devastated that the show was ending. So I know I was well entrenched in it by the time that yeah. it ended. So, and I, So I remember watching this progression of Miles O'Brien. And I remember when Deep Space Nine started, the thing I was most excited about was the fact that Miles O'Brien was a main character. Mm-hmm. Also, the thing that I was least excited about was the fact that Miles O'Brien was leaving Next oh, Generation. Next Generation, right. Because I was devastated that yeah. he wouldn't be around. I just loved the fact that there was this guy in the background that I knew so well. And his episode with the, it's not you, I hate Cardassian. It's, oh, the wounded, yeah, yeah. That's one of my favorites of Next yeah. Generation, where they sing. He sings that song with his old captain. Mm-hmm. That moment just really gets me every time I see it. Yeah, uh, he's just a he's just a brilliant fucking actor. He really is. Have Have you watched uh, Hell on Wheels at all? No, that's on AMC. Um, it's a sort of historical fiction thing about the roving town Hell on Wheels that um, built the. Uh, Transcontinental Railroad. Uh-huh. And Kalmini plays like the the sort of, I guess you could say, villain in it. He's the guy that owns the railroad. Huh. And he is so good in it. Is that on now? Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. Oh, I'd love to check that out. Yeah, they just finished uh season four, I think. Wow. I think you can get the first three on Netflix right now. Oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah I'll check it out. And he's in all of it? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll watch anything for for calm meaning. Oh, easily. Yeah, I even yeah. watched. Uh, what was it? The Englishman who went up a hill and came down a mountain. I watched Kalmini that. Meaning, had, I watched that for calm meaning. Yeah, <laughs> didn't like it. No, but I watched it. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the worst titles. It really, <laughs> I did not like that movie. Wasn't it uh, Hugh Grant mm-hmm. in that? I did not enjoy it. But I loved Call Meaning in it. Yeah, who doesn't love Call Meaning? Yeah, commies. That's who. <laughs> How do you feel about Q's appearances on on anything post-Next Generation? Well, it was very satisfying to see Cisco punch him in the face. <laughs> um, Have you seen the outtakes of that episode? No. They're funny. Oh, man. They're really funny. Um, like, like, I have them all on DVD, but I haven't watched all the extras. Uh, but on Voyager, I thought it was unnecessary for the character of Q to be on Voyager. Yeah. But I loved seeing him on Voyager because um, 
like in real life, he and Kate Mulgrew are really, really good friends and have been for many, many years. And then his and, kid played his son. Right. And it, and it, it really showed in their chemistry. Like yeah. Kate Mulgrew just came out yeah. you know, on those episodes that Q was in. And, and you could tell that they were just having an absolute blast. Yeah. It, that was another moment where I felt like it was too much fan service. Whenever the, the fan service outweighs the story continuity is when I get frustrated. Yeah. I think that was one of those moments. Like when, when they had that trial for that other Q and they brought Riker in. Right. And it turns out that he saved his Civil War great-grandpa or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't yeah. need it. Didn't need no. that. <laughs> but I loved the episode where I think it was it was it was somewhere in seasons season one, two or three. I don't remember. It was an early it was a season where Kess was still there. Hmm. And Janeway goes on this like crazy like rampage to kill these bugs that grew oh, yeah. out of like the mold or something. Right, right. And she looks like Ripley, like she's all like <laughs> rampage style. I love that episode. It's really stupid, but I love it. Yeah. I really like Jane Way, especially yeah. in the earlier seasons when she was such a badass. I listened to uh, an episode of a podcast with Jerry Ryan on it, and she was talking about not getting along with Kate oh, Mulgrew. Yeah. And I can see that in the show. I can mm-hmm. see that there's a kind of rift there. Yeah. Uh, and then they've, they've since mended. Have that they? was last year, like 2014 Star Trek Las Vegas. Really? Yeah. And, and in fact, in this year, which was the... 20th anniversary Voyager they had the whole cast except for Kess because oh issues yeah, yeah. Um, I hope she gets the help she needs but, yeah that was such a bummer um, to hear about it really was they even like Kate Mulgrew and, and Jerry Ryan were even sitting next to each other on the couch during the panels and stuff That's it, awesome. was, it was really it was a treat yeah well, how'd you feel about uh, Paris and uh, Bellana? you know they had a really fun relationship I didn't mind that at all. I, I thought it was pretty well written. I think that they didn't take it maybe to all of the places that they could have. What it was was pretty good. The one that bugged me, which I think it was just in the last episode, was just like uh, Chipotle and, and Seven of Nine. And <laughs> yeah. it was like... What the fuck was yeah, that? Where did, a, where did this even come from? Yeah. And B, well... Where did this even come from? Yeah. Like, like there was, was never any indication at that all. Was that was weird. You know, I, it, it felt like they were just like, well, we got to, you know, hook up all the females with, you know, people just so that we can, I don't know, establish some sort of heteronormality. Yeah. That was really frustrating. Yeah. I, I really like Bellana a lot. Yeah. Uh, I love that she's just this kind of volatile warrior woman who is just kind of out of control of her emotions. Yeah. I thought that was a really cool characterization of someone who is caught between cultures and is very, very strong and doesn't know how to deal with her own strength. I thought that was really cool. But also really smart. I mean, she's the chief engineer. Yeah, brilliant. Really cool character. I really liked her a lot. Mm -hmm. And I really liked Paris at first. (laughs) <laughs> because he was this like cocky flyboy. He's like well, a once Han- he turned into a salamander, it was all down. <laughs> he was like a like a, a Han Solo type, which is an interesting to th- sing, interesting thing yeah. to see in the Star Trek universe. Well, do you know that originally when they were developing Voyager, that that character was actually supposed to be Nick Lacarno from the right. first duty, right? And they couldn't do it because they'd have to pay the writer right. for Royalties. every episode. Yeah, and they didn't want to. 
And so they were like, yeah, well, it's Tom Paris. Yeah. And I, I really liked Tom Paris. He was my favorite character for in the first couple yeah. seasons. And I really liked his relationship with Harry. And <laughs> Always that, trying to get him in trouble. Yeah, but that never went anywhere. Yeah. And and then his relationship with Balana, I felt like it diminished both of their characterizations. Hmm. Where they kind of tried to shoehorn Paris into being this like typical uh like supporting partner, which I don't think he would be able to pull off, you know? Like he he hadn't grown enough as a person to yeah. be that guy. Like they were definitely trying to play on the redemption of Tom Paris right. angle. Uh, you know who was the most interesting character on that show? And he only showed up a couple times. Brad Dorff's character, the baby. Oh my god, he was amazing. So good. Brad Dorff is so good. Incredible actor. He was Wormtongue in yep. uh, in uh, Lord of the Rings. Lord yeah. of the Rings. He was fantastic. Those episodes were just so they were really intense, really powerful. That I, that is what I want to see when mm-hmm. you're like putting the idealistic human nature on trial. Right. That's what I want to see. Yes. Someone dealing with like psychosis yeah. uh, and like I mean he was a. He, he was a psychopath. <laughs> like that was the first yeah. time you've seen someone that their medicine hasn't been able to cure. Right. And that was cool. I mean, that was really good. But yeah, like going going back to like Paris and Bolana. You remember that episode where they were like trapped in the spacesuits outside, and they mm. were like, like got through their mm-hmm. fight by being outside. It just all seemed so <laughs> like coming like, within <laughs> inches uh, of death. Yeah. It was cool that we got to see them like just stranded in space. That's something that like probably should have happened more generally on yeah. Star Trek. That last sort of moment when they were about to slip away was like a really nice moment, right? Like I agree. when their oxygen was just about done, like yeah. you're just you're going to pass out now and you're going to die a very peaceful death. Yeah. <laughs> like and and the way that sort of embrace each other during that. Like I thought that was a really nice moment. I I would have loved to see either one of those characters, Bellana or Tom Paris in a same-sex relationship. Yeah. Uh, I mean, something that's been criminally underrepresented in yeah. Star Trek. And it's been talked about at great length in a lot of fan circles. And I think those two characters would have been perfect. Either one of them would have been perfect to put into a same-sex relationship yeah. and show like a mature adult same-sex relationship on Star Trek, which, you, you know, fingers crossed we'll see that someday. Andrew Robinson wanted Garrick to be gay. Oh, that would have been great. And he... You look at those early episodes again, mm-hmm. he's moving in that direction, especially with Bashir. Um, Interesting. But then the studio was like, no. Fuck that. What the? God damn. Yeah. It makes me really mad. I would have loved Tom Paris to be gay. Yeah. I would have loved that so much. Um, and of course, what would have made it, what would, really would have sold it is for it to have not impacted his relationship with Harry to say that in the future, like sexual orientation is not a big deal, right? Because, like, so much of homophobia comes out when you find out that one of your close friends is gay, and then you're like, "Oh my god, you're not interested in me, are you?" Like <laughs> that, like, which I, is I, always so absurd, right? It's like, really upsetting. I actually, I mean, I uh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so it would have been a really cool way to to show that that's not a big deal in the future. Yeah. Would be to have these two friends who are super close. Uh, one of them starts dating a man, the other one is super supportive. Would have been fantastic. Yeah. What a great way to go. Yeah. And then Bolana, like being such a strong character, I felt like putting her in this sort of stereotypical girlfriend role really mm. diminished her. And it would have been cool to see her 
in a more powerful relationship. I mean, she could have definitely been in a more powerful relationship with Tom Paris and still been more of that warrior woman that we came to love in all those seasons before. But it also would have worked really well for that to be with another woman. I would have, but, and not to sexual, not to overly sexualize it, but to just like, that's one thing that, that they would have done that wrong. You know that (laughs) look at seven of nine, they would have done it wrong. Of course. Um, God, even seven would have been great. I mean, they had, they had opportunities for it. Yeah. Because Seven's kind of like trying to find her humanity and she would have looked in any place that would have been comfortable or mm-hmm. would have felt right. And uh, and then she ends up with Chipotle. I know, God. Just, ah. It's ridiculous. But speaking of floating around in space together, one of my favorite episodes of Enterprise is when uh, Trip and Malcolm are stuck in that shuttle. Shuttle and pod one. Shuttle pod one and they're going to die so they yes. start drinking to <laughs> to. To ease the pain. Right. That's the episode that really sold me on Enterprise. I was already liking Enterprise. Yeah. Uh, that was when it became about the characters. Yeah, that was the turning point. And that was in season one. It happened very quickly. Yeah. I mean, Broken Bow is a, a great episode, too. It's a very but, strong pilot. Yeah, it's very good. But I missed that when it aired. So, And I watched that show when it was on. I was like going to San Diego State. I remember specifically going surfing after school and then having a watch on and like knowing exactly when I needed to get out of the water to get home in time for Enterprise. And I had like uh, days I couldn't make it home. I'd have my VCR set up to record mm-hmm. it. And I watched it all like as it aired, but I missed the first episode and I didn't get to see it until I watched it all on Netflix years later. You, you know, what was, what was criminal about Enterprise was the lack of development of um, Travis. He was, a, he was the yeah. only person who grew up in space. Yeah. I And they had the few episodes that they had with him were like okay, you know, yeah, he's got a family. That's that's kind of cool. That's Anthony Montgomery. Right? Yeah. So I I hate to say this. I hate to sound like a dick, but I didn't think he was a very good actor. Uh the episodes that revolved around Travis, I felt like kind of fell a little flat because I didn't feel like he was delivering it well. And I feel like such a dick saying that cuz I've seen interviews with him and he just seems like the greatest guy he is so nice yeah i haven't i haven't met him but he just seems like the nicest fucking guy uh and i never felt like that character fit him maybe he would be like maybe he's a great actor and maybe he'd be great in something else but i mean i've i've had some like small experience acting and i know that if i'm cast in something that doesn't fit me it's I'm terrible, you yeah. know. <laughs> and if I'm cast in something that does fit me, I can do like decently. But I'm not, I'm not a I'm not a very good actor. But I, I never quite bought Travis Mayweather. I never. It was a great character, though. Like the premise of yeah, it, right? Like I agree. And then, and then there were entire episodes where he would just not even have any lines. There yeah. was, um, you remember the one where uh, Twilight, where Archer gets the memento mm, disease, right? Yeah, which was a great episode. Very good. But like, Travis just dies in it. And they don't even like, like, they're like, oh, well, I guess he's dead. They don't even like mention it. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, they they just, they really went with the, the whole like triptych of Kirk, Spock, McCoy with right. uh, Trip, to Archer Paul and to Paul. And, yeah. and I appreciated that. I, I, it's so hard to have an ensemble cast and have everyone shine. Yeah. And it took. DS9 did it well. DS9 but. did it very well. Next Generation got there, but it took them mm-hmm. years uh, Voyager actually did a pretty good job. I feel like I knew everyone on Voyager pretty well, yeah. but I definitely agree that I did not know everyone on Enterprise. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't necessarily mind that because it was 
trying to harken back to the original series mm-hmm. and get that sort of vibe. And the original series is so powerful because they focus so much on those three characters. Yeah. I mean, everybody knows Sulu, Uhura, Chekhov, Scotty, but they were very much background characters. Oh, yeah. Like, very much background characters. And they really came to the forefront in the films, mm-hmm. which was awesome and actually kind of incredible. I mean, look at look at Jimmy Doohan in oh, yeah. Star Trek Four, who's just stealing the show. <laughs> um how do we know he didn't invent the thing? You know what would be super fun to do? Let's go movie by movie and just give some quick reactions to what we think of the All Star right. Trek films. So, Star Trek The Motion Picture, what do you think? Beautiful movie. Absolutely. Uh, the beige overall color scheme could have done without. Yeah. Needed a little bit more color, but but beautiful movie. And that scene of... The approach to the Enterprise in space dock, oh, yeah. which must have been way more incredible at the time because it had been over a decade since we had had any Star Trek and people just hadn't seen the ship. And then not only getting to see a ship on the big screen, but it's like that is the best Starship model that they've made in Star Trek, hands down. You think so? Yeah. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm so partial to the Enterprise D. The D was a good ship. Designed by the same guy, Andy yeah. Probert. But Brilliant that man. that ship seemed like the most real and, and just the level of detail that was put on it and the design of it generally. I mean, you know, it's so art deco and I, I'm, I'm a sucker for art deco. <laughs> um, it was just beautiful. Spock was kind of a dick in that uh, movie. Which I liked. Yeah, because uh, the Vulcans generally are dicks. That was one thing that I thought Enterprise got right. Yeah. Um, it's the, something that people forget. And, and then I think I, I showed in that presentation that I did mm-hmm. was that the Vulcans are kind of dicks. And like Spock is something that the J.J. Abrams movies got right is that Spock is kind of looked down on for wanting to be in Starfleet, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of cool. Right. So that's, that's my quick take of the motion yeah. picture. Beautiful, beautiful movie. Uh, maybe could have been paced better. And who doesn't love that? just fangasm about the Enterprise in that scene when they're, yeah. they're first seeing it. It's really over the top, and I love it. Uh, <laughs> I, I talked about, uh, it's Aaliyah. Yeah, uh, versus Kambada. Yeah, I talked about Aaliyah a couple episodes ago and how much I love uh, bald women, and it started mm-hmm. with that. And I had, to, I had to look this up for a second because uh, J.K. Stifler on Twitter at Livewire uh, he tweeted this at me. He said, I was going to say I was just thinking of Aaliyah last night, but no, I realized I was listening to you think of Aaliyah last oh, night. <laughs> I think you retweeted that. Yeah, I retweeted yeah, that because it, it like really <laughs> cracked me up. Um, I loved I loved the motion picture. Yeah. It was my introduction to Kirk and Spock and my, oh, really? my introduction to the original cast. Oh, wow. I think I might, now that I oh. might have seen, I might have seen The Trouble with Tribbles before that, but I'm not sure. I, I also kind of, Part of me wishes that Bones had kept the beard. I loved the beard. <laughs> right? It was badass. It was good. I loved Decker. I, I really liked the yeah. uh, the conflict between Kirk and Decker. Right, because he's basically coming to take his ship. Right. Yeah, totally. And I also, I love that movie so much because it's very obvious that a lot of what they built for that show ended up in The Next Generation. And, yeah. I mean, sets in particular. Mm-hmm. Like all the hallways, engineering, it all oh, became yeah. the sets for The Next Generation. And... Also, the dynamic 
of the crew was very different than the original series. And it was much more like it was going to be in The Next Generation right. with having a first officer. Uh, like Spock was the first officer in the original series, but he was also the science he, he officer. He did double duty, yeah. Right. So you yeah, don't duty. really think of him as number one, whereas Riker is number one. Decker was number one. Right. You know? So you kind of get the vibe that I'm used to. It was an incredibly great transition for me into the original series cast mm -hmm. by being introduced in that way. I love the slow nature of it. The visuals are yeah. gorgeous. Uh, V'ger is an incredible uh, foil for the crew. Yeah, and not like a villain. No, not a villain, but a foil. Mm -hmm. And the movie is all about discovery and that yeah. moment of revelation at the end is brilliant. Yeah. I saw that on TV and I was just captivated. Yeah. And Obviously, it takes a lot from 2001, but that scene when Spock is flying into V'ger oh, in yeah. his like spacesuit, I oh, it's, that's brilliant. I just love it. And it's funny leading into Wrath of Khan. The first time that I saw Wrath of Khan, I was actually wildly disappointed. I know that sounds crazy, and I hate that I'm saying this out loud, but it's it's an honest reaction yeah. because I I didn't know the crew. Uh, yeah, and I watched the motion picture and I was like fuck yeah, this is awesome. I want to see more of this. Then I watched right. Wrath of Khan. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, what is this? This is way over the top. bottles and uh, rah, they're just blowing each other up. Whatever. Yeah, and I will say that I went back and watched all the original series and then I watched The Wrath of Khan and it was like a religious experience. Yeah. So I have wildly come around. So, so now it's one of my absolute favorites. Yeah, and it is, is absolutely one of the best ones, but there are problems with it. For um, sure. There's, there's one thing that really bugs me because uh, you can even look up the screenplay so it's when Kirk first comes down into engineering after Spock has, like, replaced the dilithium crystals. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> and so he's running in, and Scotty and McCoy come up, and they grab him to keep him from opening up. And McCoy says, you'll flood the whole compartment. And then Kirk says, you know, he's dying. And then Scotty says, he's dead already. And yeah. here's what bugs me about that. McCoy is giving the engineering opinion and Scotty is giving the medical opinion. Huh. And in the screenplay, they actually were reversed. Really? So that the right people were delivering the right lines. That really bugged me. Interesting. Um, and then uh, there's another part. Why on earth did Scotty waste time bringing his nephew up to the bridge instead of straight to sickbay? Ugh. Right? Yeah. Like he should have just gone straight to sickbay. Maybe he would still be alive had he done that instead right. of taking him up to the bridge. There are several moments in that movie where people act in a way that seems dumb. And yeah. I remember the first time I watched it being really disappointed in that. But you forgive it all because the movie's so great. And yeah. as an, like watching it as an adult after having seen all the original series, what I missed the first time is that that movie's about aging. Yes. And it's about much. losing your youth mm -hmm. and the, the fear of that and like the pain of that. Yeah. But then realizing that there is no other way and that uh, and rediscovering your desire to learn and explore and love and live. Right. And that's a, a, an incredible message. And, and one thing that, that Nick Meyer is really great about um, not just his, his two Star Trek movies, but like, you know, some of his other stuff, even even time after time, the Jack the Ripper time traveling thing that he did. <laughs> what's, um, what's that? It's, it's really weird. It was from the early 80s. Um, he 
is really, really focused on um, character-driven stories. Yeah. And that's something that makes his two movies for Star Trek really shine. Yeah, the other one being Voyage Home. Uh, no, no, no. Um, oh, no, it's six, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, The Undiscovered Country. It's The Undiscovered Country, that's right. <clears throat> and um, so so that, I I absolutely adore him as a writer and a director. Yeah. Um, Star Trek Three. Like little nitpicks, right? Like if yeah. if uh, Spock had already transferred his Katra to McCoy before he had said to Kirk, I have been and always shall be your friend, and then presumably his mind gets erased and McCoy is knocked out, then why is the first thing that he remembers at the end of the movie, I have been and always shall be your friend? Huh. Uh, that kind of doesn't make sense, but... The whole the whole premise of bring, bringing Scott Spock Scott yeah. bringing Spock back is a little thin. Yeah, and and also like why did like why did he have to take the Enterprise that was already badly damaged? Yeah. Um, why couldn't he have like you know gotten some other ship? And of course, the reason is that it's the Enterprise, right? Like right. You gotta have the Enterprise at Star Trek. Um, but that was one of the first, like, real glances that we got at Starfleet, like, back at home. Yeah. Right? That was the first time we ever saw the Starbase, the iconic mushroom yeah, Starbase. Yeah, I you love know? that thing. Yeah. DeForest Kelly's performance in that movie is so good, especially in the early part, uh, you know, when he's, like, trying to book passage to um, the Genesis planet. And... Uhura is really great. Um, that scene where she shoves the guy in the closet. Uh, Christopher Lloyd, I thought, decent Klingon. Crooge. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I always thought it was funny that um, John Larroquette was the the last Klingon on that because he, he was part of that crew, uh-huh. the Klingon crew. And I love that scene where... Uh, you know, after they beam up to the bird of prey and, uh, you know, Kirk's like, eh, take him to the brig. And then John Larkett's character is like, his, Maltz is his character's name. And he's, uh, you said you were going to kill me. And Kirk's like, eh, I lied. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Uh, that's, I like that movie a lot. Uh, it's not like a great film, but it's, it's very good. I mean, there's, I think I like it also better in, sequence because when you watch the voyage home two three and four should be watched back to back absolutely because four is so great oh my god so good it's so good (laughs) uh that you really need three to get you there i really like what they did with spock in four so i don't mind the thinness of the plot of of his katra being put back in i mean it all makes sense it all it all kind of works and then that ends up being a huge thing in enterprise which yeah appreciated so for sure having kirk's son die was so intense yeah that was the first time I saw it, I was a little too devastated by that, where I, I was really young and I had a hard time with that. Mm. Uh, I really liked the new... Um, Savick? Savick, yeah. Robin Curtis, yeah. Robin Curtis. I like Robin Curtis a lot. Right, Kirstie Alley was great, but I, I think I liked Robin Curtis a little bit better. I love that Spock goes through Pon Far and she has to basically fuck Spock right. just to keep him yeah. alive. Which isn't really uh, explicitly said but it like, was classy you you know that's what happened yeah for for star trek which takes every opportunity possible to objectify <laughs> women oh my god yeah 
that was very well done. So I really yeah. appreciated that. Here, here's an interesting thing. Um, Michelle Specht, who plays uh, Dr. McKenna on Star Trek Continues. Uh-huh. Um, so she was talking with, um, I want to say it was Michelle Nichols, uh, about the uniforms that the women wore on the original series, which were way too short, right? right? I mean, like so many times, like you can see their underwear. Right. Um, which was always colored the correct division. Um, <laughs> but um, It's the little things. Right. And and so it's really easy to look at that and it's like, well, you know, they're just, uh, they're just prettying up the gals, you know. Um, but here was the thing was that they actually, uh, like the women in the, the cast actually objected to wearing pants because what was going on at the time was like the height of the sexual revolution. Really? And so they wanted to have these really sort of hyper-sexualized. Wow, interesting. Uh, because to them, it was empowering. They were, they were right. owning their sexuality. How cool. And um, that was something that I had never, ever thought about. I've never heard that before. That's I, really interesting. Yeah. When, and then when did the switch happen where it became something that, that like Hollywood executive men kind of pushed upon women? Because that's kind of what it's become at this point. Yeah. Well, um, I know Rick Berman really liked big boobs. <laughs> so part of that probably came during his reign. But um, why, do you, why do you say that? I mean, I... Oh, because someone, uh, I think it was Nana Visitor mentioned that uh, at the con. Really? Yeah, she was like, yeah, Rick Berman, you really like big boobs. No, 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 it was Terry Farrell who said that. Terry Farrell. I saw Nana Visitor in Vegas the one time I went to the convention in Vegas, and she was fucking awesome. She's a really interesting person. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, so uh, I think that a lot of that has kind of always been there. Yeah. You know, the the sort of um, objectification of women in film. Yeah. and I guess all we have that's changed is that there, in addition to that, we have uh, women who have characters who aren't just objects. Yeah. Um, but that's still like part of the, the sort of background noise, if you will. Yeah. Well... Then we're getting into Star Trek Four. Yeah, which, which is, is a fantastic movie. It's a great movie. I I explained the premise once to someone on the podcast, and I think it was Audrey, and she's just like, "You've got to be fucking kidding me!" Yeah, <laughs> like where you're going back in time to get whales because yeah. there's a probe that's destroying the planet unless it can hear whale song. That's <laughs> <laughs> so crazy. Right. I mean, Leonard Nimoy. I yeah. I doff my cap to you, sir. Indeed. Because they made the most ridiculous premise. Works so well. And mm-hmm. when you watch that movie. And that's another movie that didn't have a heavy. Yeah. There's no bad guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the first like half hour of the movie, you legitimately think that all hell is broken loose and that it's the dumbest thing you've ever seen. You're just like, <laughs> I've loved Star Trek for so long and this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. But then by the end of the movie, you're so on board with it and you're just so sold by everything that's happened. Oh, yeah. And you believe it and you love it and you enjoy it. And it's great. Yes. Um, that movie had so many great character moments, right? Yeah. Like, uh, you know, double dumbass on you and the, yeah. the, the punk guy who was played by Kirk Thatcher who wrote the song that he was playing on the tape. Really? Um, like, you know, that whole thing. Um, 
Jillian Taylor, I thought, was a, a really compelling character. Yeah. Um, I thought that uh, Spock's whole, you know, commentary, essentially, because like, he was doing the thing that Spock had always traditionally done on the show, which is serve as the the outside perspective for right. all of the stupid stuff that humanity does. Right. You know, and so like, he, you know, when he talks about like, uh, if we were to assume that these animals are ours to do with as we please, then we would be as guilty as those who caused their extinction. Right. Like, like mm -hmm. that sort of comment is exactly the kind of Spock yeah. thing yeah. that made that character great. Um, and his his secondary journey of kind of rediscovering his own self, yeah, was really great. It really well done, right? And, it and you could me, tell that it had a profound impact on his character. Right. And if you're going to kill someone and bring them back, that's the only way to do it is to mm -hmm. really have them go through something. Uh, Star Trek so often like kills people and then says, "Oh, just kidding, they're <laughs> not dead." I, you know, I don't I don't mind that if. You learn something from it because the whole mm. point of Star Trek is to learn something about yourself and about humanity and about the universe. And, right. And they really pulled it off in that one. And it makes me much more okay with what happened in Star Trek 3. So, so now I actually like Star Trek 3 a lot, whereas when I was younger, <laughs> I didn't like it as much. Yeah. And what, what are your th I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on, uh, on The Final Frontier. The Final Frontier is um, there were some really great character moments in that, but the story was and William Shatner gets a lot of flack for it. Mm -hmm. But you have to remember there was a writer's strike going on at the time. Really? So was that made concurrently with season two of next generation? Uh -huh. Oh, interesting. And so he couldn't, he couldn't hire people to rewrite it. Huh? He just had to, you know, like the people who weren't part of the writer's guild, write Rewrites for it, which ended up just being things that were like budgetary in nature. Right? Like he yeah. had this whole, the rock monster battle. thing, rock monster, yeah, thing, yeah, right. That um, he just couldn't get the budget for that. Interesting, you know. Um, I, I have to out myself and say that I love this movie. Yeah, <laughs> but I also have to out myself and say that I've only seen five and six once each, mm. and I remember them pretty well. And I really liked five. Yeah, mostly because the idea of a physical search for God was really compelling to me. And also because I loved Generations so much that... You mean the next generation, the show? No, I mean the movie oh, okay. Generations. Uh, and there was, uh, like, the novelization of Generations included a lot of stuff that was deleted from the movie, hmm. which then you can see in the deleted scenes that plays off of what happens in Star Trek V. Uh, like the stuff in the forest, yeah. the camping, the camping the scene. Climbing El Capitan. Yeah, all I love all that stuff so much. Yeah, the, that... That whole camping sequence, I thought was really, really good. Yeah, I really need to rewatch it as an adult and see how I feel about it. And I feel the same way about Star Trek Six, where uh, I didn't like it the first time I saw it. It's one of the best, and it, it's it, funny because the other night at your house, when yeah. uh, when you had some clips from it, I was like really compelled. Yeah, and I, I kept thinking to myself, I really need to see this again. I mean, first of all, that movie, Star Trek Six. Um, I guess we're just skipping ahead. <laughs> yeah, well, let's go back to five. Let's talk yeah. more about five. Okay. So Star Trek five, yeah. Um, that There were so many things in that that were just good moments, but it, I don't think it worked as a whole. Uh-huh. Bill Shatner, like I said, he gets too much flack for that. It Because he did... It's it's a well-directed movie, hmm. 
right? Like, I mean, the way that he arranges the shots and everything, like, it's he did a good job, you yeah. know? Um, but the, the screenplay is not terribly strong. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, like all the the actors, I mean, you, you get some really powerful moments, like um, like when McCoy's dad dies, Yeah. right? Like that's a really powerful scene. And then also, I mean, you got to love that, that uh, part where, you know, Kirk's like, you know, I need my pain. Yeah. Right. Like I love that. Um, yeah. You know, so so there's a lot of really really good moments in it, but um, but definitely a, just a a weak screenplay. Hmm. I'm really curious to see it again because I have nothing but fond memories of that movie. I remember loving so much about it. And, yeah. Uh, just, there's a lot to love about it, honestly. Yeah, just like the the villain being a spiritual leader in a way, mm-hmm. but kind of like a questionable one. Where you don't really know for most of the movie right. if he's and if what, what he's does saying is God true. Need with a starship. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I remember loving it. Yeah. But I was uh, a teenager when I saw both five and six. For the only time I saw five, I yeah. watched all of them through when I was a teenager. Five was the first one that I saw in the cinema. Really? Yeah. From five until um, the two thousand nine reboot. Yeah. Every single Star Trek movie, including those, uh, but between them. I went and saw with my dad. Oh, that's like cool. that was. We always went and watched Star Trek. Wow, that's awesome. And your dad just just passed away just yeah, very recently, a month and a half ago. Yeah. Wow. How how are you doing? I mean, that's really um, rough. Yeah, it's it's been rough. Um, it uh, well, because Star Trek was always something that we bonded over. Yeah. Um, so as I'm watching all of these things, like a lot of memories you know kind of flood up yeah um but i'm you know i'm hanging in there do you want to uh do you want to have kids someday and pass that on i'd like to yeah 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 and hopefully they'll be into star trek and that's right something you can i'm share like with if, them. if if i have kids and they don't grow up being into star trek and usagi ojimbo then i failed as a parent <laughs> man yeah it's it's interesting because being into something is something you have to come to on your own. And there's no way to force someone to be into something. Yeah. Either they are or they aren't. Uh, and I, I think about that. Like I, I'd love to have kids and watch Star Trek with them someday. That'd be so cool. But mm-hmm. if they're not into it. Well, then they're just terrible people. Well, <laughs> I mean, if <laughs> no, it, I'm just kidding. Like I've, uh, I've dated people that weren't into Star Trek just because of the visual aesthetic of mm. the jumpsuits. They just couldn't get over it. <laughs> and I can't blame them for that. Sure. And it's just not something that we did together. And then uh, I had to break up with them because of it. No, I'm yeah, just kidding. Because yeah. <laughs> um, they're terrible people. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to each his own. And there's no right or wrong. And I'd like to think that if I had kids and they didn't like Star Trek that I would be okay with that and just say, hey, that's fine. You have your thing and I have mine. And maybe we'll find other common ground somewhere else. <laughs> like uh, my dad and I watch Sports Night together, okay. which is one of my favorite shows, uh, Sports Night being the first Aaron Sorkin television yeah. show. Um, like a brilliant comedy, way ahead of its time. And it was on at the same time as the Michael J. Fox show. And we would... Boy, he'd do a good Star Trek script, wouldn't he? Because he's already... Oh, Aaron Sorkin? You know, like he's got so many corridors to play with. Yeah, the walk and talk. Yeah. Which he stole from Star Trek, and people like say that he made it up, but he did no, not. No, It was straight out of Star Trek. Uh, but yeah, it's it's interesting, like, well, uh, 
that my dad and I both like found this one thing that we're both like super into that every time I go to San Diego, we always stay up late and watch it together because the rest of my family liked it, but they weren't really into it. Hmm. Um, But that's so cool that, that for you it was, and your dad, it was Star Trek. um, Because I, I think you and I appreciate Star Trek in a similar way where we like feel it real deep down. Yeah. Um, and it'd be, that'd be a cool thing to share with a parent. And I, I mean, obviously I have that with, with each of my parents on, in different things, uh, but not with Star Trek necessarily. And Star Trek's so awesome. And it's the best one. <laughs> um, so Star Trek six, tell me why it's so good. Okay. So first of all, it is the best production design that Herman Zimmerman has ever done. Really? Those sets are gorgeous. It's the best looking enterprise bridge. All the corridors, the, the, even the way they redressed the um, the conference room from Next Generation, the Klingon courtroom, just everything about it is just beautiful. Although there is one nitpick, which is that the design that it, he did of the bridge set has turbo lifts on the sides, mm-hmm. but that's not reflected in the model. Hmm. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> I can forgive that. Yeah. Um, you see a, a huge continuation of the Spock thing where now he is completely comfortable with having been brought back to life. Yeah. And you see the change that it has made in him is that, um, like, he has this great line in it where he says that uh, logic is the beginning of wisdom, not the end. Mm-hmm. Right, and that feels to me like like that's the primary lesson that he learned from dying and coming back to life. Wow, um, interesting. Right, because think about it: the reason that he's alive is because of illogic, right? Like the needs of the one outweighed the needs of the many. Yeah. So he has to come to terms with that, right? Like because his existence is owed to that, and he was someone who would have thought that that is just absurd. Right. You see everyone just getting ready to retire, Kirk really resents the mission that he's on because it's to go make peace with the Klingons and the Klingons killed his son. son. That's a thing. (laughs) You get some really, really great uh, McCoy moments (laughs) in that show. And and D. Kelly was just an absolute treasure. One of the main things that I really liked about it, and it was like a small thing in terms of screen time, but Captain Sulu of the Excelsior. Yeah. Right? Like I love that. Like, because especially like that ties into the very end of Star Trek Four, mm-hmm. right? When they're sailing through uh, space dock, wondering like what what ship are we going to get? You know, like uh, you know, well the only the bureaucratic mentality is the only constant in the universe. We'll get a garbage scow, you know. <laughs> uh, and Sulu says, you know, I'm hoping for Excelsior. That was a really good Sulu impression, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, and then he gets it yeah. two movies later, right? Yeah. Like, that's so good. And um, then he saves the day with it. It was mm-hmm. just pretty exciting. Right. And 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 I love the way that it, because um, it's it's definitely a parallel for the uh, dissolution of the Soviet Union and the Warsaw Pact and all that. Yeah. Um, I mean, Gorkon, it's like just a few letters away from Gorbachev, you know. Yeah. Uh, but David Warner... Knocked it out of the park as Gorkin in that. See uh, Kurtwood Smith as the president doing, I think, really a bang-up job. Um, it felt like a really nice bridge between 
Kirk's era and Picard's era, mm-hmm. not just because they're setting up a lot of the stuff that would then go on to be normal and, you know, like the Kittimer conference and all that. Yeah. Um, but just, um, just the feel of it, like, uh, like God, if, if, if the wrath of Khan had looked like the undiscovered country, that would have been phenomenal. Like, yeah. cause you know, um, well, undiscovered country came out during what season four of next generation. That sounds right. Yeah. And it's interesting because you know that Worf's father died in the Battle of Kittimer. Right. And you see his grandpa. And you see his grandpa, played, of course, by Michael Dorn. And then right. you see, like, the Kittimer Conference. Or right. What, what, is that what it's called? Yeah, Kittimer yeah. Conference? Yeah, you see that happen, and it kind of fills in this backstory for a character that you've been watching on TV for four years. That's a right. really interesting thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, Christopher Plummer's performance, uh-huh. uh, even though half the time he's just quoting Shakespeare, uh, is so good. And and it was funny because um, Bill Shatner and Christopher Plummer used to act together in like the Canadian Shakespeare Company or whatever, like back in, I think, Ottawa. And so that was the first time that they had been on a stage together since then. It had been decades. His performance was so, so good. He makes a really, really great Klingon villain. So the story is good. The production design is great. There's some really great character moments, um, and it's just just a beautiful movie. So that's that's why I like Star Trek VI: The Undiscovered Country. It's it's <laughs> it's one that I love watching over and over again. Yeah, I really need to see it again because I know that I didn't like Wrath of Khan the first time, and now I adore it. So of, of course I should give this movie another shot. The things I remember not liking about it, one of them in particular, I already know I was wrong about because. Watching that clip of the the Klingon trial at oh. your place the other night, I remember not liking that scene at all because everything that the Klingon uh, the the prosecution brings against Kirk and McCoy yeah. is technically true, you know, uh, through a certain point of view. So I remember being really infuriated that the justice system in this universe that I loved was being used against characters that I loved. Oh, yeah. I had a really hard time reconciling that as a kid. As an adult, I thought that was fascinating. And as an adult, I was like, this is brilliant. You know, this is really uh, well-written and and well-executed. So, Plus, I mean, the very beginning of Star Trek Four, right? Like, you get the beginning of, like, which carries even into Star Trek Five, like, the Klingons want Kirk. Yeah. Like they want their, what they perceive as justice against him. Right. And, uh, Star Trek six, they finally get it. Yeah. And also growing up in the next generation, seeing the Klingons be true villains Mm. was really hard for me. Right. Cause you got used to them being friends. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not just friends, but like just really great. I mean, the Klingons are just great. Like you watch a matter of honor and Mm -hmm. when Riker's having, a meal with Klingons and you get inside of the mind of the Klingon and you realize oh, yeah. that they're not actually, they don't have to be our enemies. Right. Uh, go, I just felt like backwards progress to see Klingons just really being fuckers right. in Star Trek six. I also really struggled with the ending with the Scooby-Doo reveal at the ending. Oh, <laughs> well, the worst part about it is cause there was a cut scene, right? Cause the guy, when they unmasked him, uh-huh. it was Rene Aubergenois. Really? Yeah. And he was playing a character called Colonel West, who appeared in a deleted scene. He like came up with this plan to rescue 
Kirk and McCoy from wow. Rurapente and got shut down because, you know, this president is not above the law. Um, huh. So that made it extra absurd because you didn't even get, like, you the got the setup. big reveal. Yeah, but if you were watching in, in, you know, in a cinema, like, who the hell is this guy? Yeah. <laughs> I, I couldn't get over that at the end. It really kind of soured the whole experience yeah. for me. Uh, and he would have gotten away with it, too. For, <laughs> for these damn, damn meddling Starfleet officers. But I, uh, as an adult, I also, <laughs> I, I think I, I mentioned this to you the other night where I was a, a background extra in the cut scene from the 2009 oh, Star right. Trek where they went to Ruapente and uh, like the Klingon prison planet. And I was there being pushed around by Klingons in real life, IRL. <laughs> so... That must have been so cool. It was incredible. I mean, I can't even explain how incredible that was. Like, I was just there, and I was in Star Trek, and there was Klingons and aliens and explosions and J.J. Abrams, and I was just <laughs> so fucking happy. A couple lens flares, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was just, like, a the culmination of, like, years of fantasizing yeah. about being on Star Trek. So now to get to see more of Ruripente in Star Trek VI, where it originally came from, mm-hmm. is just very satisfying personally. So again, I just got to go back and yeah. watch this movie again. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, it's on Netflix. Man, we've been going for three hours and fifteen minutes. I don't know if I have any more movies in me. Should we? <laughs> should we call it with the original series? Sure. I really want to talk about next generation movies with you, but maybe we should do that on another episode. Yeah. Let's uh, let's do another episode. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure we'll have you back. You're our our resident Star Trek expert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, since Larry Nemechek doesn't live up in Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> and because uh, Michael Kuda is, uh, we are well beneath him. Oh God, he's so nice though. I met he's him. He's so nice. Yeah, I I met him also. I met him uh, at uh, there was a opening event for a Star Trek exhibit in San Diego. It hadn't opened yet, but my friend worked at the museum, so he got me in. Nice. And I have a picture of me in my Next Generation T-shirt with a super 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 long hair, and like next to Michael Kuda, and we were front in front of a bunch of Okudagrams. And I was just, I saw him and I just flipped out. I don't know if he gets that that often because I had the super fanboy moment right. with Michael Kuda. Complete shitting grin, on, grin, I'm sure. Yeah, I was just like so excited to see him <laughs> because he designed so much of what I love about Next Generation. Mm-hmm. I, just the way that like the L cars system Which is the looks. inspiration for this, really. And you're holding up a, an iPhone. Yeah. which <laughs> Yeah, totally. I mean... It's so interesting that when, when you're a kid, the idea of like people having this panel and just pushing on it just mm-hmm. seems so futuristic, and now we all have it. Yeah. It's, it's real. Uh, and he designed a lot of that. I mean, he really helped shape the future in a lot of ways, which is so Absolutely. cool. We got to stop. T- we keep, <laughs> I will keep yeah. talking forever. Awesome. Well, Ian Adams, leader yeah. of the Red Shirts, yeah. the uh, creator of Star Trek Night. <laughs> uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Ian128K. Oh, awesome. Uh, and uh, I frequently go on Star Trek watching binges and live tweet them and um, (laughs) point out a lot of the things that are just kind of weird or awkward uh, but also just uh, do a lot of gushing about it because I love Star Trek yeah that's great Uh, I I've connected with some really cool sci-fi fans on Twitter through doing this podcast and we'll get you in the mix too and awesome we'll all we'll nerd out together it'll be glorious (laughs) <laughs> it will be glorious. Uh, Ian, it's been so great. Thank you so much for Thank joining you. me on the show. Thank you for having me. We'll definitely have you back. All right, we reached the end of our 20th episode. Thank you all so much for listening. 
A special shout out to Evan at From the Wastes and JK Stifler at Livewire on Twitter. I love chatting with you guys about the show. It really keeps me going to know that people are listening, and it's so fantastic. Evan was my special test listener for Sci-Fi on Trial, and he had some really great feedback for me. I really appreciated that, so extra special thank you. Make sure to follow at Sci-Fi on Trial on Twitter to see when that episode is coming out, and look us up on all your favorite podcasting platforms. It's not there yet, but it will be within the week. You can also go to scifiontrial.com. So I am rushing to finish this podcast and get out of here. I have a really exciting day today. If you remember a few episodes back, Naomi Adele Smith was on the show. We played a song together. We played Asteroid Field for my sci-fi album. And she and I have started working on synth music together. So we're going to get a live project going for my sci-fi stuff. And also, I've been working with Audrey and my friend Pete. Audrey, back in the very first couple of episodes, we talked about a project that she and I were getting started, kind of like a pop-punk thing. We started rehearsing for that as well. Uh, so yeah, I'm really, really fucking busy. Also, I'm really excited. I, I uh, This is super nerdy. I found this girl on Tinder who was dressed as a Vulcan, and we're going on a date tonight. So I'll let you know how that goes when I come back to the show. I, I'm not quite sure how long it'll be. Hopefully no more than a couple of weeks. But, you know, life is happening, and things are happening, and sci-fi and trial is happening, and it's going to be it's going to be exciting. So I'll leave you today with something that I am just so fucking proud of and love so much. It's my song Seri Alpha 5 from the Sci-Fi album, all about Khan Noonien Singh, inspired by The Wrath of Khan. I talked in this episode about how the first time I saw Wrath of Khan, I wasn't super overwhelmed by it. If anything, I was a little disappointed. And then I saw it again as an adult and just loved it. I was almost brought to tears by how much I loved it and was so shocked by my turnaround. And it really just goes to show that, you know, if you ever dislike something, give it another chance. See if you like it. Uh, you never know. You never know. If you approach something with an open heart, you'll probably love it. I just really fell in love with Khan after having seen his appearance in Space Seed in the original series. The juxtaposition of those two versions of that character are what really make Wrath of Khan work. Uh, so I wrote this song from the point of view of Khan sitting on SETI Alpha 5, waiting for Kirk to come back so he can just wring his neck. And I kind of wanted to embody that character of Khan and embody the sort of madness that you see in his eyes in Wrath of Khan and really have some fun with that and sing in a different way than I normally sing and write in a different way and really get myself outside of my my comfort zone as a performer, as, as a singer. This was the first thing I released for the sci-fi album. I had uh, The first thing I wrote for it was Time Child, but the first thing I finished was SETI Alpha 5. So I'll leave you with that today. Happy 20th episode, friends and listeners, and I'll see you soon.
plan.